Numbers 14:24 once again But my servant Caleb because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully him will I bring into the land whereunto he went and his seed shall possess it This striking instance of godliness stands out, especially as we have been considering against the backdrop, not really of the physical desert in which the people of God were in geographically at this point, but the moral, the spiritual desert, which is shocking because this is the chosen people of God. And yet how few how very few shared in the spirit of Father Abraham. It would seem that most of the congregation, had Abraham had the opportunity to come and to visit these descendants of his, he might discern certain facial features and and certain mannerisms that were unique to him, But beyond that, he would see absolutely nothing that bore any resemblance to his simple childlike faith that enabled him to lay Isaac upon the altar when God called for it. But praise be to God's name, there is always a remnant according to the election of grace. And so God preserved a small number of whom Caleb stands out. Caleb is an instance, a clear and a shining and a beautiful instance of the new creation in a true believer, of a true son of Abraham. As the Lord owns, he, he, he publicly identifies and acknowledges him and truly All those who confess God and Christ, he will confess us and acknowledge us. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Well, as we have paused to consider the subject of the rebirth or regeneration from the instance of Caleb, having considered the author of regeneration, God, the Father, Son, and especially the Holy Ghost. The subjects of regeneration, it is not all men, nor is it those head for head who are outwardly in the visible church, but the elect. Many are called, but few are chosen. We've considered the time or the timeline of regeneration and the opposition that regeneration overcomes. Now, there are at least one or two more points that I want to address, but in light of our approach to the Lord's Supper and the accent that we want to place upon the duty of self-examination, I want to... Uh, forward or fast forward uh, to 
a final point, that is, the visible signs of regeneration. And having done so after our communion season, we'll go back to the actual work, the event of the rebirth, what actually happens in overcoming that resistance, that deadness, that alienation. But now let's look at the visible signs of regeneration. And it's very clear, as Caleb demonstrates, that even though the new birth is the most secret and mysterious of things that does not, uh, uh, does not allow of the, of the hands of men and their minds to, to explore and to understand beyond that which God has wonderfully revealed, it can be seen. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear You hear the wind as it blows through the trees. You see the effects, and yet it is mysterious. And it is uh, not a subject to to being ultimately harnessed and, and grasped. And yet we can see its effects as we see it in Caleb. As Caleb stood out as they were all taking up stones about to kill him because of his bold and courageous testimony on the side of the Lord to go into the land of promise, which God had sworn, Caleb clearly, visibly stood out. So let us consider the visible signs of the rebirth. Signs that in the main, in general, should mark and do mark all those, whether in the Old or the New Testament, as are true Christians, and in the case of believers under the New Testament, should be seen to demonstrate one's worthiness to participate in the Lord's Supper. Three points this morning. What are these visible signs that we can see of this invisible reality, this awakening, this enlightening, this this transformation, which we can't control? Well, first, there is godly repentance. Godly repentance. Now, repentance means, boys and girls, from the Greek it means change of mind. Now this, is a, this isn't just simply, ah, I think I'll wear this jacket today and not that one. No, it's, it's, a, it's a much more profound change of mind. It's the change of mind that shakes a man to his core. It is a change of mind that shatters a woman when she comes face to face with her sins before a holy God. Now let's remember 
young people our catechism definition. What is repentance unto life? It is a a saving grace whereby a sinner, a sinner, it always starts there, whereby a sinner, after a, in, a, in a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. That's that very uh, compact uh, statement that our forefathers have given to us, and it is thoroughly saturated with biblical truth. Now, this repentance begins below the surface, and we don't see that. God sees it, He sees that broken and contrite spirit, the sacrifices of which are well-pleasing to God. He sees it. In fact, he's looking for it. He's searching for it. The world, yes, even the church, is full of superficiality. But where, where are those who are really broken in heart? for their pride, for their atheism, for their, their irreverence to God, for their, their sensuality, all the many things that... that it, it begins there, but it doesn't stop there. Just as that true a seed that... that is cast into the soil and dies and then begins to push roots down, eventually you're going to see a little a shoot that is coming up and, and before long you'll see the fruit. Godly repentance can always be seen, at least its effects. Matthew chapter 3. Then went out to John, John the Baptist, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. There's no doubt. There's no ambiguity. Now, there's more to be said. But... Repentance is something that is a, can we put it this way, it is a phenomenon. There may be lookalikes, and there are. But where there's real repentance, there is evidence. Acts chapter 19. In Ephesus, under Paul's preaching, Verse 18, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, that is, they were engaged in the occult. That was their particular sin patterns. They brought their books together. What are we going to do with these? Let's put them up in smoke. 
all these things that we went to and depended on, either uh, to solve all our problems or perhaps to exercise some mysterious hidden power and to become an object of fascination and adoration. Oh, we're going to burn them. And that's exactly what they did. They burned them before all men. They didn't do it in the back alley. They want to go on record as to what they think about their false worship. Some of those volumes maybe had been handed down from their mothers and their grandmothers. But something's happened to us. A blessed Pandora's box, and we can't put it back. And they counted the price of them. This was a a great sacrifice. They found it 50,000 pieces of silver up in smoke for all practical purposes. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Godly repentance can always be seen. Godly repentance makes waves. Yet, godly repentance, though it is seen, it does not try to be seen. That is to say, it does not outward obedience and forms of devotion simply and ultimately that others can see. Let your, hand, your left hand not know what your right hand is doing when, when you give charitably. Don't, don't trip over yourself to demonstrate your, your repentance. No, it's ultimately for God. Now, you cannot hide your lamp under a bushel. That's not, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. It's, in fact, that would be denying what we've just set forth. That is, Christians must be public Christians. But they don't do what they do in order to have the applause and the glory of men. Now, a little bit of nuance before we move on to our second point. When we look for the visible signs of the rebirth, we look for godly repentance. Now, it must be said that the more notable or the more notorious one's past has been, the more public self-abasing, and often emotional, the confession will tend to be. Does that make sense? Not all sinners are high-profile sinners, the ones that get written up in the newspapers. But when things are known, there has to be a corresponding publicity. David, he, he, can't, he can't sweep this under the carpet. It's not a private sin. It's, it's publicly known. 
And therefore, he goes on record with Psalm 51, and we read it and we sing it within the church, remembering his public confession for notorious sin. Or that woman who had no shame in a good way because she was so ashamed for all her sins and so she had no shame in going to the feet of Jesus. And as she wept, she, she wiped his feet with her hair moistened by her tears. And she's not afraid for others to say, what's going on? Do you know what kind of woman is touching you, Jesus? She doesn't care. She knows who she was. So the more public, the the more notable or notorious one's past has been, to that degree is the outward repentance visible self-abasing, often emotional. Also, uh, the more notable or notorious one's past has been, and, and there, again, can be different degrees of this. But there will be a corresponding tangible, consistent, and satisfying confession and demonstration of repentance. Think of this, the, those who came to John the Baptist and they, they want to know, how do I show my repentance? How do I now demonstrate that I mean business with God and my fellow man? How do I go on record that I have broken ranks with the world, with the devil whom I previously served, How can I adorn this good message? And instead of being a stink, I want to be a sweet savor to others so that they can ask, what is it about this woman? She's so different. That's what she wants. Well, He says to the soldiers, in your case, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Notice that the demonstration of repentance and new obedience fits the individual. Luke chapter 19, this is a very good example. Zacchaeus was known. In fact, he had abused his power, many, many had reason to doubt his getting religion. Oh, Zacchaeus is getting religion, is he? Oh, I've got more than religion. I have a Savior. And I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Zacchaeus stood. He's public. Everyone is there. He says to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, one more nuance. Covenant children under godly parenting will often have less outward repentance to demonstrate 
because they've been brought up in a believing home, whenever they are actually converted, even up to that point, their, their sins have been restrained. They've been under a wholesome and a healthy discipline. Oftentimes, haven't you noticed this? Sometimes somebody from the world comes and compliments you, and you're, you're humbled, and you say, oh, but for the grace of God go I. But they notice. They notice the children. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the children have a new heart. But they're under the care, and they're under the discipline, and they're being taught. That's one of the reasons why it's, it's very, uh, very much of a need that a young person should make sure that when they do profess their faith, that it is their faith and that they do understand their sins because they don't have a whole lot of big-ticket sins, perhaps. Now, that's not necessarily the case. Because David confessed my sins and faults of youth. And there are a lot of things that get hid from mom and dad. I know from personal experience. There are things that my parents went into eternity never knowing about their son at that time. So, we just want to nuance this. We don't want to expect the same degree of outward repentance when they profess faith, necessarily. And they should not overly trouble themselves that they cannot repent with the same splash as adult heathen converts. Or to put it in a very concrete way, young person... The evidence of your new heart, your, your new birth, does not need to be like Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. And praise God! But it's the essence. It's the essence of what is real. And that's the issue. So let's not get too taken up and absorbed with numbers and percentages and degrees. It's not just simply a matter of how many tears, or if there are any tears at all. The Lord's looking at the heart. Second, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, You see, you see, my servant Caleb, I'm not saying anything that that you, you basically don't know. He has stood courageously and clearly for the Lord. There's no doubt or ambiguity of where Caleb is. Second, in terms of visible signs of the rebirth, is obviously an open profession of faith and obedience. In the case of New Testament Christians, that also takes the form of baptism if they have not previously been baptized. 
Caleb openly sided with the Lord. I believed, therefore I spake. He stood out. He believed the Lord. What did he believe? He believed that the promise that God had made to Father Abraham, that we should inherit the land by God's free grace and all those other glorious promises in the womb of God's grace that would ultimately lead to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Caleb believed these things in his heart, and he said so. We can go in. God, Jehovah, has given us the land. I believe his word. I'm not trusting in myself. If it weren't for the Lord... I'd go into Canaan and I'd get stepped on by one of those giants in two minutes flat. But God, in His boundless grace, has made a promise to the seed of Abraham to bless the seed of Abraham. And He's testing us. He's testing us whether we will really believe And so it is throughout all the ages where there is a new nature, there is an open profession of faith. Whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. After it becomes clear as the eunuch in hearing Philip's explanation of Isaiah 53, he says, well, what stops me from being baptized? And he says, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I believe. With all my heart, I believe. Tell me where I need to go. Tell me where I need to show up. And that going on record is clear enough and decisive enough that it will sometimes cause division because of that clear stance and ambiguity. I am no longer on this side. I'm on the Lord's side. Now, I hope you follow me. And I'm going to still love you. Even if even if you don't want to follow me. But because of my new master, I can't go where I've been going. I can't do that with you anymore. It's over. I'm not my own. I've been been purchased by the precious blood of my Savior. I'm not my own. You've got to understand that. I have decided to follow Jesus. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, he knows whom he has believed, whom he has entrusted, the care of his soul. And no one's forced him to it. And he's doing it because 
because he does genuinely believe. Now, a credible profession of faith within the church is one that is simply uh, a faith that is based on a certain amount of knowledge of the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and a life that at the very least doesn't contradict that. Now, as we have said, godly repentance will always manifest itself, perhaps not always in a splashy way, but the church has always, in its best moments, been concerned on the one hand not to admit any uh, to baptism or the Lord's Supper who have not demonstrated a, a credible profession of faith and that they mean business with God and that they are seeking to bring forth some evident fruits of repentance. But the church in its best days has not been over-rigorous on the other hand. Our New England Puritan fathers in a synod in the 17th century said this, the weakest measure of faith is to be accepted in those that desire to be admitted into the church. If sincere, they have the substance of that faith, repentance and holiness, which is required in church membership. And such have most need of the ordinances for their confirmation and growth in grace. And so on the one hand, as we rightly in our churches emphasize the need to examine oneself, do not judge others, but judge yourself. Because if you don't judge yourself, you just may be a partaker of the judgment of God into eternity. But on the other hand, the church should be encouraging the weakest believers to come because this bread and this wine is not for those who are full, but those who are hungry. We're not looking for a profession of faith in yourself. We're looking for a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that involves a veto of yourself. I have no confidence in the flesh, says the apostle. I count all the things that I used to put in the positive column, I put that in the negative column. It's rubbish, it's waste. I'm throwing it away. I lay hold of Christ. But is a faith that will not ultimately be silent. It also involves not just a profession of faith, but also a profession of obedience. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is, this is what it means to become a disciple. 
is to make that decisive step and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he calls you. He calls you. Now, it, it is scary because it involves taking up the cross, but at the same time, it's an easy yoke. Come unto me. You who are the weakest, you who tremble the most, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. And he's talking about the yoke of service, the yoke of discipleship. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're not coming to Rehoboam. We're coming to Jesus. And that profession of faith and obedience also embraces the ordinance of baptism. He that believeth and is baptized. As we see, when those sinners in Jerusalem were pricked in their heart, they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so if one has come to faith and not been baptized, they are coming from outside of the visible church. They cannot be considered Christians if they have the opportunity to receive baptism and they refuse it. Third and last... My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully. And so, uh, for the title of our third and final point, the visible sign of regeneration. Following godly repentance, profession of faith and obedience is following the Lord fully. So if we, if we look at repentance in the sense of that first initial great uh, um, confession of sin, renunciation of everything that has been displeasing to God, and I'm now going on record, I trust and embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior who alone pardons all my sins and sets me free and gives me a place in everlasting glory from that point forward, there is a life marked by following the Lord and not doing it by halves. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. Well, how do we know he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully? He followed me. He followed me. Everyone else was dragging their feet. They wouldn't believe. They misread and 
misrepresented my kindness and my goodness to them, but my servant Caleb. Because he had another spirit with him, not from mom or dad, mind you, nor from his own efforts to reform himself. That's not how it works. You must be born again. And so God, isn't he, isn't he simply acknowledging his own handiwork? For we are God's workmanship. All those who are true Christians, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he hath foreordained that we should walk in them. That's the language of following. Every Christian is a disciple. Every Christian is a follower. If you're not following the Lord, you're not a Christian. You're not. No matter what you tell yourself, no matter what, what other flattery that other people lavish upon you, if you're not following Jesus, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. You're still in your sins, and you're on your way to the place which is reserved for the devil and his angels. Depart from me, says Jesus, all you workers of iniquity. Oh, give me your religiosity. Who is my mother, my brother, my sister? It is he that does the will of God. Caleb, dear friends, was the real deal. And that should challenge us. Challenge us to ask... Am I the real deal? Now, with some of those nuances that we've already uh, qualified and cautioned, we don't want to fall into a kind of legalism and an, an extreme rigor that really is a matter of the flesh, of works and not of faith. On the other hand, the Bible, and in the same breath, constantly warns us against the dangers of hypocrisy. Robert Trail said, You know there are two great plagues the church of Christ has been distressed by, and it will never be quite free from a multitude of hypocrites in a fair day and a multitude of apostates in a foul. And that's never changed. A multitude of hypocrites in a fair day and a multitude of apostates in a foul. But the Lord presents us Caleb as his handiwork, the demonstration of his grace that has changed him, made him new, the evidence, the visible signs of regeneration are especially seen in the lifelong following of the Lord. From the heart. 
not by force, but by love. If you love me, keep my commandments. What shall I render to the Lord for all his kindness to me? We love him because he first loved us. And so I want to keep the commandments because my heart tells me so. I don't have to be whipped and cudgeled and browbeat and shamed and humiliated into doing these things. That's how, that's how men work. These are the mercies, the tender mercies of men. They are cruel taskmasters. But the Lord works love in our hearts so that we want to keep his commandments. He followed me fully, fully in obedience, all of God's law. To love God with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the strength, with all the mind, and one's neighbor as himself. Caleb stood for the honor of God. He stood for the worship of God. He stood for the word of God. He honored the Lord. He kept his law. And he loved his brothers. What he said was first in the interests of God's honor, but also, why will you die? I've got to stand and I've got to speak because you are putting yourself at risk of destruction. And I can't say that I love God and just watch you die and say nothing. How can you say you love God when you don't love his image? In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. That is a part of the visible sign of the new birth. I love God, and I love my brother. I love his reputation. I love the fact that he has given certain possessions that he hasn't given to me, and I, and I thank the Lord for that. I am content with the things that God has, has given to me, and I am ashamed inasmuch as I fall short. Fully. He followed me fully. The new creature follows the Lord fully in deeds and in words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How is your talk? Is your talk healthy and health-giving, or, or does it infect? And does it spread sickness and disease? And it's not only talk. It doesn't say, be warmed and filled, and yet it does nothing for the giving for needs. 
The new creature follows the Lord fully, not just in words and deeds, but even in the inner world of the desires, feelings, hopes, fears, plans, and aspirations. There is a conscientious and and careful uh, fleeing from sin, even the least. Have you considered my servant Job, says the Lord? But there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. The new creature follows the Lord fully when it's popular, which is infrequent, and when it's not. The new creature follows the Lord when it is safe and easy and when it is not. But above all, the new creature follows the Lord and follows Him fully by faith. The just shall live by faith. Do you follow the Lord? Do you follow Him? Do you follow Him fully? Do you desperately need Him. Who? Who is on the Lord's side? Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please stand. O Lord, we wonder at Thy grace. Grace that though it cannot be seen and changes the heart and in ways that we cannot observe immediately, yet, God, we are so thankful that there is fruit and that there is the fruit of the Spirit. O God, may that fruit of the Spirit be in us by the Spirit. And Lord, we pray that in this upcoming week, as we try ourselves, that we would do so um, honestly, but also ever looking to the Savior. For Lord, uh, to whom shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. Receive us, we pray, and forgive us our trespasses in Jesus' name. Amen.